So we begin our time of teaching together, and we are concluding, we're finishing up our series, Church People. This has been a series where we've looked at the first couple chapters of the book of Revelation, and in the first couple chapters, there are seven short letters written to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is what is today Turkey. And we've kind of woven our way through these letters. We've heard what Jesus had to say to these churches here in Asia Minor. And sometimes in these churches, there are some really good things happening. And sometimes there are some not so good things happening. And Jesus has a lot to say to these churches about the good things and encouraging them and also correcting them and making sure that they are adjusting their behavior and repenting as they need to so that they are aligning with what God is doing, with God's mission which is to recreate all of creation, to have a new heaven and a new earth, this new overlapping space where God and humans dwell together for all eternity, where there is no more sickness or death, and those who are in Christ are now part of this new creation. That's the goal that God is pointing to, and Jesus, in these seven letters, is pointing the churches toward this goal. And this is the last one that we see here in Revelation 3. This is the seventh letter. And uh, guys, this one's a little rough. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have some nice things to say uh, about this church. There's not a lot of good things happening in Laodicea. Uh, there's really, there's just some rotten things going on. And Jesus has some strong words here. And so we're going to dive in. We're going to see what Jesus says, see what his critique is, and see what we can learn about our own situation, about our own church, our own lives, as we reflect on this passage. And so Jesus begins this way here in Revelation 3. And he begins the way that a lot of the letters begin. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. So we're going to hit pause there. Jesus starts this letter off the way a lot of the other letters started, where he's talking about himself. He is establishing who he is. And he's using some language to talk about, using some creative language. Sometimes he uses metaphor to talk about who he is and what he's about. And here he starts off, the words of the amen, which that word should sound familiar. We say amen a lot. We probably say it several times a day. If you do uh, meal prayers and morning prayers and evening prayers, you probably say amen lots of times. It's what we say at the end of a prayer. The word amen is just a translation, transliteration of a Hebrew word, which simply means, so be it, or yes. It's an affirmation, a kind of claim of, I agree with this thing that's been said, which is why we say it after our prayers. We pray, we ask God for what we need, we glorify his name, we repent, we yield all things over to him, and we say, amen, so be it. Let it be as we have said, is essentially what we say at the end of our prayers when we say amen. Jesus here, he's saying that he is the amen. He is the affirmation, the affirmative statement based on what God has done, which is why it says here, the faithful and true witness. We're told in the letter to the Hebrews that Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact representation of the Father. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. If we want to know how God would act in a particular situation, we look at Jesus. Jesus is exactly like the Father, and the Father is exactly like Jesus. The Father would not do anything Jesus wouldn't do. Jesus would not do anything the Father wouldn't do. He is 
the faithful and true witness to the Father, to his plan, to his goodness. Jesus is the amen to God. Amen? Amen, right? Here we are. So be it. This is it. Jesus is the man. He is the one that we go to when we want to think about and know what God is like. It says here, the origin of God's creation. Back in Genesis 1, we're told that God created the world in a particular way. He created it by speaking. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the skies and the seas separate, and they separated. He said, let the earth be filled with animals, and the earth was filled with animals. He spoke, and his words had power to enact something, to create something. In John chapter 1, John tells us that Jesus is the Word of God. That when Jesus, or when God spoke, the word that he spoke was Jesus. That Jesus is the way that God speaks. The way that God talks to the world and recreates. All right, so this is some big stuff, right? And right now, I'm like, the one thing I want to think about is getting my taxes done, right? I don't know, I don't think I have enough brain power to think about what it means that Jesus is the word of God. So these are big, huge claims that Jesus is making here, right? He's, this is his last, his last letter, and he is swinging for the fences. He is making claims about himself that he is it. He is the one by whom all creation exists. He is the one by whom all creation uh, is sustained. He is the one by whom we know God. It is all and only about Jesus. That's his claim here. He is the amen, the faithful and true witness the one by whom God created initially and the one by whom God is recreating the whole world through his death and resurrection, welcoming us into the new creation. We are recreated and made new by Jesus. That's how Jesus introduces himself. He's saying, I'm it. I'm the man. You want to know God? Know me. You want to know life? Know me. And then Jesus continues. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And here we have these hard words, this harsh critique from Jesus. And he says, you know what? You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. You're just so-so. And if you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. I'm gonna reject you. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, you probably have heard this passage preached before. I grew up in a tradition, it was a the revivalistic tradition. So we're talking lots of camp meetings, we would bring in revival teachers to come in, and they would hold multi-day revivals, it was this whole thing. And there was a huge focus on giving your life to Jesus or making a decision for Jesus. And so I heard this verse referenced a lot by these revivalists, by these revival teachers. And they always taught this verse one way. And it's looking at this that God, or Jesus, is spitting lukewarm Christians out of his mouth, and he wants you to be hot. In fact, he would rather you not believe in him than just be so-so about him. And so you need to be hot, and you need to be passionate, because God wants you to be hot for him. Maybe you've heard this kind of preaching before, right? But that's not actually what this passage says, is it? He says here, I wish 
that you were either cold or hot. Jesus would rather have his people be cold or hot than just lukewarm. He wants us to be cold. So then we have to dig in a little bit deeper and we have to think through why he's saying this. Uh, well, there's a couple of things that we can look at here. Scholars kind of agree there's probably two major possibilities of what's going on here. The first one is referencing Laodicea, the city, their source of water. So Laodicea had a proximity to several other cities in Asia Minor, but Laodicea didn't have any naturally occurring springs. So they didn't have any source of natural water that they could come by close to their city. There was no like river that went through or those kinds of things. There was no way for them to get good, good clean drinking water where they were. So the Roman Empire pumped in water from other cities, from close by cities. And there were two cities that we know that Laodicea got water from. One is the city of Colossae, which you may have heard of before. The letter to the Colossian church was written to the church in this city. Colossae was near mountains, so they had this fresh, clean, cold drinking water. And it was life-giving. All the communities and all the, as you go down the mountain, all the hillsides, the foothills, they were just full, rich, full of life because of this good, clean, cold water that came down from the melt of the mountains. So the Romans, they built a big pipe that pumped in this cold water from Colossae to Laodicea. There's another city close to Laodicea called Heropolis. Heropolis had naturally occurring hot springs that were full, bubbled up from the earth, that were full of these really good minerals that people would soak in and they would gargle and they would drink and it would actually make them healthier, make them feel better, actually healed ailments. So you have these waters from these two different cities that were blessings to their communities. Cold, clear, fresh drinking water that was life-giving and hot, mineral, rich, full, healthy water that, uh, that brought healing to the community. And they would pump in water from both of these cities and by the time it got to Laodicea, it was just lukewarm. They would mix together, and they would get to Laodicea, and it was just drinking water, like tap water. And you know, when you, uh, when you get water, maybe you have one of those refrigerators you can get water from, but it's always a bummer when you wake up at night and you go to the bathroom and you have to drink the water from the tap in the bathroom. You know, it never quite tastes the same. Right? It never quite tastes really good. That was kind of like Laodicean water. It was fine. You could drink it. It could, you know, you could, you could survive off of it. But it lost the blessing of this hot, mineral-rich healing water and this cold, crisp, life-giving water. It lost all those blessings by the time it got to Laodicea. So you see, maybe Jesus is calling us to be hot and cold this way. He wants us to bring healing to those around us. He wants us to bring life to those around us but these Christians, they were just lukewarm. They weren't life-giving. They weren't healing. They were just kind of, eh. Another option that some scholars think that this is referencing to is wine. So at this time, people drank wine uh, all day long. Uh, they would mix it with water, and they would water it down, and that was kind of mostly what they drank. They, you know, we drink a lot more water than they did then. They would mostly drink uh, this kind of diluted wine. 
And when you were coming to somebody's house, if you were somebody they respected and they wanted there, they would serve you either cold wine or hot wine. And especially Laodicea with its proximity to the mountains, they would actually be able to have snow there. Like they would actually be able to like keep bring down snow. And so if you went to somebody's house and they, it was the middle of the day and maybe it was kind of warm, they would put snow in your cup with your wine and you would have this cold, crisp wine to drink to be refreshed from the hot day. Or if you were going later in the evening, maybe dinner or after dinner and you were resting there, maybe you were visiting family or friend and you were staying the night there, they would warm up the wine and you would have it almost like a warm cognac. You'd have a little bit of warm wine at the end of the day to settle down and to get rest. And so some scholars are saying that we have evidence that to just serve somebody lukewarm wine was almost an insult to them. You were saying, I'm tolerating you being in my house, but I'm not particularly excited that you're here. I'm not going through the effort of making sure that you are taken care of the way that you need to. I'm not refreshing you with cold wine. I'm not helping you rest with warm wine. I'm just giving you lukewarm, room temperature wine, which I think is kind of funny because most time I drink wine, it's just room temperature, right? It's just like in my cabinet and I don't, you know, don't think about it, right? But that was an insult then to serve lukewarm room temperature wine. So we have these two options in front of us. And both of them are kind of saying the same thing. That hot things and cold things in this context would bring blessing and life. Opening up your home to somebody else and bringing them either refreshment or relaxation. You would care and bless other people by being hot or cold in this context. But here these Christians are and they're just lukewarm. They're just so-so. They're neither hot nor cold. You see, there are some things that God wants us to be hot on and some things that God wants us to be cold on. He wants us to be hot on things like healing those who are broken, welcoming those who are losers and outcasts in our society into our homes by caring and loving generously to those who are sick and downtrodden. And he wants us to be cold on some things too. He wants us to offer life and vibrancy and refreshment to our communities that are so in desperate need of Jesus, that are so lost. He wants us to be hot or cold. He doesn't want us to be lukewarm. And he continues on with this, what does it mean to be lukewarm here? For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, these Laodicean Christians, they were apparently very wealthy. In fact, the city of Laodicea was very wealthy, one of the wealthiest communities in this area. You may remember the last couple of weeks, Pastor Ben talking about the earthquake that shook this area in about 60 AD, and it really it caused a lot of damage and even destroyed some of these communities, and Laodicea was one of these it was almost raised to the ground completely by this earthquake. And some of the other communities in this area, they received help and they received some subsidies from the Roman Empire to rebuild the, their city. Laodicea did not receive help from the Roman Empire. They rejected it because they had so much money, they just floated the bill themselves. They just rebuilt because they had enough to rebuild. Laodicea was a very wealthy, comfortable community 
And the church in Laodicea apparently was very wealthy and very comfortable. They said, I have wealth, I have prospered, I don't need anything. But what they didn't know is that in their comfort, they have actually become spiritually wretched, spiritually poor. Because comfort in our lives is the first step towards spiritual poverty. Jesus had a lot to say about wealth. He had a lot to say about comfort. He said it's harder for the camel to fit through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter into heaven. It's because when we are comfortable, when we are wealthy, by the way, most people in this room would probably be qualified as wealthy, even if we don't seem like it compared to other people in our community or in our nation, right? Most of us are really quite comfortable. We can pay rent or pay our mortgage. We can go to the grocery store and we can get cheap food. We always have enough food. We always have enough water. We always have enough electricity. We're not really in a lot of need. Most of us are like this. We're just comfortable. That's the first step towards spiritual poverty. Because when we start having this thought, I don't need anything. That becomes, I don't really need God. God becomes a pet that we keep around. Yeah, we'll talk to him before our meals. We'll talk to him before bedtime. But, you know, we just kind of have him around until things get bad. And then we start talking to him more about what we really need. I would say a lot of us are almost here. We're just comfortable. We're okay. But what we don't know is that spiritually, we're blind. We're poor. We have nothing because of our comfort. That's what the warning is here. You're just lukewarm, is what he's telling this Laodicean church. You're just so-so. You're not cold. You're not hot. You're not really being a blessing to others. You're just kind of living your life, doing your thing. So what does it look like to be hot or cold? Jesus continues. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. The first thing we have to realize is that Jesus is invested in us. He's invested in our lives. He's invested in us growing and flourishing spiritually. And that means that sometimes he reproves us. That means sometimes we hear things from Scripture that are hard for us, that challenge our assumptions. There are times that he disciplines us with the words of Scripture that we know that we have. We're not doing what we need to do. That we are not responding adequately the way that we need to. And he says here, his command is, be earnest. Be serious about it. Early on, when Jesus introduced himself, he said, I am the amen. I am the true witness. I am the origin of creation. And sometimes I think that we hear these stories, we talk about Jesus, and oftentimes we don't think through the implications of, what if Jesus isn't lying to us? Like, what if he actually is who he says he is? What if he actually died and rose from the dead? And then he commands you do not be anxious. I think he expects us not to be anxious. When he commands us to give water to those who are thirsty and clothing to those who are naked and homes to those who are homeless, I think he might be serious about it. What if he's not lying to us? What if what he says is true? And what if his commands 
And what if his expectations of us are true? What if he is an actual faithful, the actual faithful witness of God? Be earnest. I think the reality is, I know the reality for me standing here as I'm preaching to you, I know that there are areas that I'm not earnest about what Jesus has said to me. And I'm guessing you're the same way. There are areas that you know that you are not earnest. And then he says here, repent. This is the thing he asks us to do. Repent and turn away from our so-so-ness. Repent and turn away from our lukewarmness. He invites us to repent from those things and to turn to him and to take seriously his commands to be a blessing to others, to offer hope and healing and refreshment and life and vibrancy to our neighbors and to our community. He continues on. He says, listen, I am standing at the door knocking. He's right there knocking on the door of your heart. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you, and you with me. Repent. Open the door. Because Jesus is knocking on it. He's knocking on the door of your heart through the neighbor that you have that you know is struggling financially. He's knocking on the door in the bar at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. He's knocking on the door in that family half a block down that you can hear yelling at each other at night. He's knocking at the door at the children who are not getting the food they need, the good food they need in our community. He's knocking on the door and he's saying, listen, I'm here. Just open the door. Just let me in. Invite me into your home. Feed me. Give me water. Clothe me. I'm right here. And yeah, it's uncomfortable. Because guess what? It's uncomfortable talking to people you don't want to talk to. It is. But discomfort is a mark of spiritual maturity. It's a mark that we are moving in the direction that God has for us, that, he's, that we get to participate in the new creation by clothing and feeding and caring and welcoming those who have no home into our home. This is a mark of this new creation this new world that God has instituted, that Jesus is working us toward. Listen, he's knocking on the door all over our community, all over your neighborhood. And in fact, he may be knocking on the door in your family. And all we have to do is open it up. All we have to do is repent. We say, yes, Lord, come on in. God's plan for us is to be a blessing to the world around us. He wants us to work with him in his work of rebuilding and recreating our world. He wants us, he's inviting us to participate in that. He wants us to be hot, providing healing and nutrients and richness to the lives of those who need it to offering life and refreshment and vibrancy to the lives of those who need it. He wants us to be hot or cold. This is the invitation, to turn away from ourselves 
and to turn toward Jesus and to say amen to his amen. Let's pray.